Hi, and welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and then take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week we watched and we'll be talking about The Last Unicorn. Jan, do you want to tell us a bit about this movie? I sure do. The Last Unicorn is a 1982 film. It is Japanese-American animated fantasy about a unicorn. It is based on the novel written by Peter S. Beagle, and it stars the voices of none other than Mia Farrow, Alan Arkin, Jeff Bridges, Tammy Grimes, Robert Klein, Angela Lansbury, Christopher Lee, and Renee Abergeona, as well as a few others. Abergeona. <laughs> I cannot get his name right. You know, Odo. I met him in real life. Odo and the chef from Little Mermaid. Yeah, that is his greatest role of all. That is his greatest role of all. Okay, uh, it was directed by Arthur Rankin and Jules Bass. Hey, I think I've heard of them as a team. I think I have too. Will you tell us a little bit about the plot of The Last Unicorn? I will do my best. I was getting sick as we were watching this movie, and I was think I was hallucinating. <laughs> That's helpful. And the movie itself is not unlike a fever dream. So, you know, if I start describing things that you don't think actually happened... Okay, I'll let you know. I'm recovering now from this sickness, so you may hear that in my voice, oh gentle listeners. So, The Last Unicorn is the story of a unicorn who hears from a butterfly that she is the last... No, hears from hunters that she's the last unicorn, and hears from a butterfly that a red bull has driven all the unicorns away and erased their footsteps. So she goes in search of the unicorns, and along the way befriends Schmendrick, an incompetent magician, and Molly Grew, the companion of... The, this world's version of the real-life version of Robin Hood, which I guess makes her, like, the fictional real-life Maid Marian counterpart, basically. They go to the castle of King Hagrid. Hagrid. Not Hagrid. <laughs> uh, who commanded the Red Bull to capture all the unicorns because seeing unicorns in the ocean makes him happy. Meanwhile, Spendrick, the Red Bull, is trying to catch the last unicorn, and Spendrick transforms her into a woman, and she falls in love with uh, Lear, but then turns back into a unicorn and rescues all the other unicorns, but she alone, of all the unicorns in existence, now knows how to feel regret, because she isn't ever going to marry Lear because she's a unicorn again. Right? That is the story of the last unicorn. That's the story of The Last Unicorn. I've seen it before. Like, so I say, like, I was having a fever dream while I was watching this movie, but I have seen it before. When I was young, though. Mm -hmm. so this did come out the year you were born. Yeah, I didn't see it that year. <laughs> how good of a movie do you think The Last Unicorn is? Being as objective as you can be, how good of a job do you think the people making this movie were doing? It's complicated to judge this movie objectively when it's so old, even though we've done lots of old movies before. Mm -hmm. It's of a certain era of like B 
beautifully rendered backgrounds yeah visually and then characters that are interesting to look at but like terrible mouth movements yeah and i mean possibly so that it could be both japanese and american i'm not sure that seems likely that seems possible it is very slow moving for our sensibilities hmm at least for my sensibilities mm-hmm. um however i really think that there's a certain beauty to the last unicorn yeah that still remains and the animation uh despite its hiccups has a real beauty to it and i think that's where it most succeeds what do you think i think basically i agree i think there's some beauty visually and there's some beauty in the story too even though uh there's some parts that are there's some parts that are bizarre and there's some parts that are incoherent and there's some parts that are kind of grotesque mm-hmm. but there's also in the incoherency like a sense of mystery and beauty where you i feel like the experience of watching it that is not only mine is watching it and feeling like there's something here you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that comes from not just visual beauty, but like it's exploring these ideas and not really not coming to conclusions about them. And that can be a little unsatisfying, but it also can be very evocative. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think the voice acting is not great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's I'm, a lot of celebrities Yeah, who are not really, I'm guessing that they weren't really familiar with voice acting and just really struggled with it. I Christopher Lee, I liked. Mm, yes, he did great. I did not like Mia, I don't ever really like Mia Farrow. Mm-hmm. And her performance is, I read it as whiny. Hmm. Yeah, I can kind of see that. Uh, Jeff Bridges was fine, and Alan Arkin was fine. Like, you could have found someone better, but they weren't d- embarrassing themselves or anything. Mm-hmm. You know? I, the voice that does Molly is just the kind of voice that can grate on you. Yep. And so, it did right. <laughs> grate on me, personally. And I think that's that takes away a lot from this movie, is her grating voice, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So we're already starting to talk about it. Apart from objectively, how much do you enjoy The Last Unicorn? And maybe in this uh, section of this podcast, we can say what we sometimes do in this section, which is, this is an old movie and a favorite of some people. What was your experience of it? Was this a childhood favorite of yours? No. Right. Definitely not a childhood favorite. I watched it maybe once or twice as a kid. It scared me a lot. I found, I remember, it's not only did I feel scared of, like, the scary things within this movie, something about the eeriness of it, hmm. I found unsettling as a kid. Right. And that still kind of continues. I get it more now. Right. But definitely as a kid, I just felt like, this movie is weird and I don't really like the way it makes me feel. Right. I think it was, it was because the ending was unhappy. I was very used to happy endings as a kid, and I still enjoy happy endings. The ending isn't entirely unhappy, but yeah, I can see mm, as a kid. Yes, no, as a kid, it it's feels bittersweet. Unhappy. Yeah, yeah. It's um, 
I actually didn't remember that she saves the unicorns. Hmm. In my mind, I thought it was like a Little Mermaid situation where she dies too. Right. And goes off and becomes seafoam. <laughs> right. I kind of was conflating the two, like the old Little Mermaid and this. But um, that aside, like my experience of it was, yeah, being frightened as a kid. Watching it now, a lot of it graded on me because it was the annoying voices and the, the weird animation and like scariness still of the harpy killing the witch and like the red bull and everything but i can see why people would like this movie Hmm. i personally don't really care about it i could i don't love it right it's does i don't i don't feel any nostalgia for this movie and therefore feel kind of negative about it because of like the crappy voice acting and the yeah Right. And the kind of uncomfortable way it still makes me feel. <laughs> um, how about you? What was your history with it? What do you think of it now? Like you, like this was not a movie that was had a big presence in my childhood at all. Mm-hmm. So people have nostalgic, uh, fond feelings about this movie and I don't. I watched it once as a kid. As a kid, I kind of found it boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, as an adult, I found it less boring than I did as a kid. I liked it more than I did when I was watching it as a kid. Mm -hmm. I liked it more than my memory of it. And like you, I can really see why this is a classic. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think I just missed the moment that would have endeared it to me Mm -hmm. or me to it. Yeah. However that phrase goes. (laughs) Yeah. Endeared it to me. Yeah. I always felt like she was so sad. Yeah, she like, is. Like, as a kid, I feel like, you know, like, she's just this sad unicorn this whole time. And that's, I don't want to watch someone be sad, even now. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's one of the things I think that is what's, uh, it's appeal, though. A lot of kids' movies, like, we tend to watch for the show and we tend to choose and curate for our kids as much as we're able to, uh, good movies. Mm-hmm. If you watch, uh, if you look back over our movie ratings, we rate things good more often than we rate them bad. And that's because if we know a movie's bad, we don't want to watch it. Mm-hmm. So all the ones that are bad are ones we're surprised are bad because we just don't want to sit and watch a bad movie with our kids, right? Yeah. But lots of movies come out, right? In a given year, lots of kids' movies come out and a lot of them are bad. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are bad because they're emotionally shallow. Yes. And... uh there's other ways to be bad, but even good kids' movies or medium good kids' movies tend to be emotionally shallow. And you're used to happy endings and you're used to characters who are happy all the time and that, you know, a fuzzy little bunny who faces obstacles that he overcomes because of his uh, adorableness and confidence or whatever. And one of the things I think that makes this movie so appealing is that it's not that. Yeah. Right? It hits a very different emotional register. So I can see the appeal. I just have other sources of that emotional register. Mm -hmm. I'm not in need of uh, melancholy in my fiction. I get it other places. Mm -hmm. Right? But I could see if you were a kid who had only ever really seen saccharin movies. Mm. And then you saw this, it would speak to some part of your soul 
that had not been spoken to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And it sounds like you're getting into some serious territory. So let's just get into the way, 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 way serious portion of our show. Let's. And let's talk a little bit about that emotional depth with this movie. Is it, do we want to expose our kids to this kind of melancholy, sadness, destruction of a species thing? Yes. Yes. I think for sure. I think kids need, it is good for their emotional development that they are exposed to and are and experience a full range of human emotion. Mm-hmm. Right? And like, you said two things that I think are both, I say yes to both of them. And one is to the like, this kind of emotional melancholy. I think that kids feel melancholy whether you give them an outlet to express it or not Mm -hmm. because they're human one of the functions that fiction has especially children's fiction on the development of children is it gives them models of behavior and thinking and emoting because you see people in your everyday life children it is uh, appropriate to their development that children are very self-centered, mm-hmm. uh, especially as, they, as they're young. And they gradually develop into empathy, but really it's slower than you might expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things that fiction does is it gives children a non-threatening, even like scary and really sad is non-threatening compared to reality a non-threatening context within which to be exposed to uh, more complex emotion and more nuanced and uh, understandings of the world. And that helps them develop their emotion and understand it and also develop empathy for people who aren't them and who are in inex- who have had uh, experiences that they haven't had. Mm-hmm. Right? And for all those reasons, I think that like... Watching a movie about someone who's just sad for the whole movie (laughs) (laughs) actually is valuable for kids' emotional development. Mm -hmm. And for adults' emotional depth. Like, your emotional depth is something that uh, you can choose to nurture or not. Mm -hmm. And you nurture it by being exposed to and experiencing a range of emotional stimuli, right? Yeah, absolutely. And some people don't. Yeah. Some people limit their emotional experience. And I uh, think that makes them, I think that impoverishes their experience of life. Mm -hmm. I always say to my kids, and I've said it on this podcast, right? When they say, did you like this movie? I say, you know, I like movies that make me feel feelings. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it doesn't really matter to me when I'm deciding later whether I liked a movie. It doesn't really matter to me whether the feelings it made me feel were happy or sad or mad or scared. Yeah. You know? So this movie, uh, as an adult, what made me not like it as much as the parts that were uh, dull. Mm Mm-hmm. But the parts that were strange and eerie and melancholy, I can see the appeal of that. And I liked that. Mm-hmm. I like Absolutely. it for the kids, too. Mm-hmm. 
The other thing you said is, like, about the destruction of an entire species. Yes, exactly. Something that I want to discuss with this movie is that it definitely has parallels with both um, the destruction of animals and endangered animals and the destruction of indigenous peoples and genocide. Yeah. And um, this idea, uh, for a movie that came out in 1982, it was kind of on the end of this idea of um, when you find the last animal, you want to kill it instead of preserve it. (laughs) I mean, that was a lot earlier than 1982. That was like the Victorians. Yeah. But this idea of like the hunted down the last the unicorns until there was one left and let's find that last one right and get it yep and so it's it comes alongside uh this time in the early 80s and in uh into the 90s even as well of environmentalism in in children's movies that today is a lot more controversial Mm -hmm. unfortunately because Mm -hmm. like somehow it's a political divide Instead of, yeah. So this, I think of like Fern Gully as well, is Mm -hmm. one of those movies where they're talking about environmentalism. They're talking about uh, preservation of life and of a species. And to put it in the heads of children, in the heads of anyone who watches it, that the destruction of something is is a tragedy, is a... Uh, it was something we should fight against with everything we have. Yeah. And so I think that, like what you're saying, all about the melancholy, all about the sadness that is contained within this movie is also something that might spur many people on to do good in this world because of, uh, because of this sense you get from it of how wrong it is to destroy. Yeah, absolutely. And like I was going to say about emotional... Uh, intelligence for children that like when faced with the prospect of a species or a people being destroyed sadness is an appropriate emotional response Mm -hmm. and if it takes making kids feel sad to make adults when they become adults say let's not (laughs) Mm -hmm. then that is absolutely worth it and then like the effect of kids never being allowed to feel sad is exactly that kind of lack of empathy it's like you know who never feels regret is a sociopath yeah right never feel sad for someone else's loss Mm -hmm. so the like i really like what you said by the way and i i'm i'm struggling in how to say it because i'm basically just trying to choose which of the two metaphors is stronger. But I really like that they're both there quite strong, that this is both a metaphor for uh, animal extinction, and it's also a metaphor for uh, like cultural genocide. Mm-hmm. For like the unicorns get not destroyed, but absorbed into King Hagrid's kingdom so that they can just be there for him to look at mm-hmm. and that's not animal extinction and their people because they're the sentient mm-hmm. and they're like absorbed into his kingdom 
and their specificity gets erased. And it's because it makes him happy. Yeah. Even though, frankly, he's not a happy person at all. No. He's a very unpleasant, unhappy dude. (laughs) But also, like, his reasoning behind, like, well, it makes me happy. It's for my benefit that this happens. It's for my benefit that we take an entire culture and put it in a different place yeah, where it can benefit me and only me. And that's such a dangerous attitude. And, you know, and it's good to have it be the villain that you're showing that in. Yeah. Like. So the fairy tale of either one of those metaphorical meanings or both of them on top of each other, mm -hmm. that like it's appropriate for kids to feel sad about that Mm -hmm. because that does happen, has happened. Yeah. And in the like, you know, words of another melancholy kids media, the Lorax, if someone like you doesn't care a whole lot, nothing is going to change. It's not. Mm -hmm. Right. You can't get people, children or adults to change anything about the status quo if all they ever feel is happy. Yeah. And if you recognize that the way things are aren't the way things ought to be, and I think you have to be, no matter how good things are for people in general, uh, things are never as they ought to be. Mm-hmm. Then you have to recognize that, like, that emotional depth and that uh, conscience mm-hmm. <laughs> just go together. I like a movie that has a conscience, yes. a story that Absolutely. has a conscience. Absolutely. And I really like a story that has a conscience, but is complex about it. Mm-hmm. That like this means more than one thing. Mm-hmm. It's about King Hagrid's selfishness in general. It's about how everybody around him is for his own happiness and that doesn't make him happy. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. So the, the fairy tale is about how selfishness doesn't make you happy. Yep. It's about the precariousness of the natural world and how things aren't forever and you can just destroy them and then they're gone. Mm -hmm. Which I think in the 80s was kind of a rude awakening. Yes, absolutely. That society all too soon went back to sleep about and hopefully now we're having another awakening that will actually do something about this time. Mm -hmm. Let's move on a little bit to something else within this movie that as an adult, I recognize that I never would have as a child. What's that? Which is in the opening sequence, it goes through uh, the whole horrible song, which just a side note, I do not like the songs in this movie. They yeah, I think if we're going to talk flash, flashback to, is it, to the objective goodness, <laughs> the music has not aged well. The really music is objectively well. bad. <laughs> yep, it's bad. Okay. Anyway, in that whole opening, opening sequence where they're showing the credits, um, they show tapestries. They mm-hmm. show like the medieval, medieval mm-hmm. tapestries? Yeah, medieval tapestries with uh, unicorns and other mythical creatures that existed in England, except they never actually did. <laughs> and and so it feels like um, I would have never recognized a tapestry as a child, but now I do and I see this as uh, this kind of a myth, this kind of a deep historical thing that they're presenting that, from what I understand, showing something that was presented as fact back then like to have scotland's national animal is the unicorn 
even mm-hmm. though unicorns have never been real. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and then there was like the lion for England, and none of those animals were ever in England. So those, the, but these stories back then were presented like it was fact, and these tapestries reflected those kind of things. And it feels like we're just going within a tapestry to discover this story of the last unicorn. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you can add more to that being. Um, maybe I can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I'll say it's amazing how much when you read medieval, uh, romance they're they're pretty sure that there were lions in england right like lions show up all over the place um it's very interesting though how uh like the one of the things that happens in this movie that i already kind of alluded to is they meet captain what's his name and his merry men who are the real life version of uh robin hood right yeah so that idea of like they're presenting this this is a pseudo medieval fairy tale world presented to us as a real life version of this fairy stories that you've heard right presented mm-hmm. to us the audience as you've heard of robin hood well the real life one is this guy and it's that's an interesting device here too for sure yeah do we want to talk about a little bit about uh the last unicorn and her femaleness. She yeah. is, she becomes a woman through no effort of her own. She, hmm. it is a curse, basically a curse placed upon her by Schmendrick. He, she doesn't want to become human, doesn't want to become a woman, but does anyway. Right. And then as a, a human, she forgets her old identity as a unicorn. Mm-hmm. She keeps forgetting and slowly changing from what she was into into what she is now. I feel like this is a, it's like a metaphor for she's changed by a man. Yeah. She's changed against her will. There is almost a metaphor of assault there. Yep. That she forgets who she is because of this uh, violation that's done to her, changing her form, changing essentially who she is. And he's well-meaning but thoughtless yeah. and doesn't ask her permission and is, like, aggressive about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. She's like, why did you do that? And he yells at her about it. Yeah. What do you mean, what have I done? Only saved her from the Red Bull by magic. That's all I've done. By magic. By my own true magic. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And he does it, his own well-meaning uh, motivation is he does it to protect her from another. The Red Bull is... Uh, in all kinds of ways, an archetype of maleness, but is mm-hmm. a male character. Yeah. Yeah. So what does all that mean? I just think it is, uh, it says something in, about uh, the violation of someone's body hmm. and that what happens to their personality afterwards or what can happen to their personality afterwards and how they can lose themselves. And she and like... When she regains herself, it's... It's good and she she is better, but she also is fundamentally changed still and she cannot ever go back to the way she was pre-humanizing. Yeah. She's the only unicorn who feels regret. Mm-hmm. There's also an interesting thing about Haggard 
knows that she's a unicorn because he can't see himself in the reflection in her eyes. Yeah. And then when she becomes more human over time, he starts to be able to see himself in the reflection in her eyes. Mm-hmm. And I don't, that feels like, as I said at the beginning, what there's a beauty in the mystery mm-hmm. <laughs> in this movie. And that's one of them that like, I'm not sure what that means. Yeah. But it feels like there's more there than I'm able to grasp. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And if we could read it, do a feminist reading of it and say that, like, she, uh, when she becomes transformed by a man into the kind of woman that a man wants her to be, she starts, the man starts to see a reflection of himself in her eyes mm-hmm. so that she becomes an object uh, rather than a subject. Yeah. So that at first she sees out and no one can see themselves in her. And then she becomes a thing that is seen and her faces, her eyes are just a reflection instead of the thing that does the seeing. Mm-hmm. I think that's all interesting. I feel like there might be even a more there Mm -hmm. right i'm not saying all that because i don't think it's right i'm just saying all i'm saying that in a little bit of a like la 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 voice because Mm -hmm. i think that like okay i get all that (laughs) yeah but there could be more but i don't think that's the end of it Mm -hmm. you know yeah i think it's all tied together with the erasure of a people of a culture of anything yeah and the retaining of self within that. Yeah. I mean, for a movie that frankly bores me in a lot of ways (laughs) and is like, and just drives me crazy with the sound of the voices in it. There is so much there. It is a very deep and very metaphorical and very interesting story. It is. Um, so is it good? Is it seriously good? I have a hard time uh, deciding about its goodness. Yeah. I have a really hard time. Mm-hmm. Because there are things about it that I think are pretty ungood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we didn't even talk about all of them, but like the I'll list, I'll, I'll flit through a couple of things that like, you know, the butterfly at the beginning. I love the concept of butterflies can only say quotes, but that is a like such an obnoxious moment of yeah. film. Uh, it's very it goes irritating. on for way it too goes long. On forever, and it's like, or like when Schmendrick transforms the tree, like oh yeah, that is revolting. Yes, <laughs> like right with the giant tree boobs. We didn't even mention that. That's what I was talking about at, at the beginning when I said there are parts of this movie that are grotesque. Yeah, and they're like, that's all bad in in all kinds of ways Mm -hmm. and the songs are bad and a lot of the vocal performances are pretty flat and it just isn't move the way I want it to. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) it's, there's a lot to chew on and that is is good. Mm -hmm. That is a sign of good art. Yeah. Right. I think that we kind of have to rate it medium but seriously good like there are bad things about it but i feel like the seriousness of this movie is good 
Yeah. Because there's so much to chew on, I think that we need to rate this in the seriousness. We rate it seriously good. Because in like the actual movie sense of the movie, we I just can't rate this good. It's yeah. medium at best. It's medium. I think you're right. It's a medium movie, but it's dealing with all these interesting issues in a thoughtful way without being glib or superficial about it. And that people who love it, I suspect that what they're reacting to is that they're uh, being encouraged to uh, think and feel uh, about serious issues. And that's a, that's a powerfully evocative experience. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that that experience comes from, I think you're right. It comes from the serious goodness of it, but like in terms of how to make a movie, I don't think this is doing it the way that the best way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Medium and seriously good. I'll agree with you. All right. I'm sure folks will have much to say about The Last Unicorn because even before we recorded on this and before definitely people have requested that we do this movie and then while we were watching it I tweeted a bit about it and people were reacting already then so I'm sure there'll be people willing to wanting to interact with us about it and you can do that on Twitter at WTScast you can send us an email way too seriously cast at gmail.com we are also on facebook and reddit those links are in our show notes and you can find us there and continue the conversation in all of those places what else can people do to support us paul you can rate and review this show on apple podcasts that would be fantastic and warm our hearts to the very bottoms warm our bottoms to the very heart something like that you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash clockworkscast, where for a dollar a month or as much as you would like to give, you can support our podcasting, help us to do it and do things like buy this movie so that we can watch it. Mm-hmm. I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And I am Mendrig the, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I honestly, this I was in a fever dream this whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> this movie was a fever dream. Is, this, is the movie still happening? I think it's over now. Uh.